Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, I am joined by ESPN's Jake Trotter to break down the Deshaun Watson verdict, everything about why it was six games, what the Browns were surprised by, and what happens next if the NFL appeals. Plus, will the Browns consider trading for Jimmy Garoppolo? All of that discussed on the show today. But first, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, presents Not Just Football with Cam Hayward. Each week, fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life. Pittsburgh Steelers defensive tackle and five-time Pro Bowler Cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's Not Just Football with Cam Hayward. Listen wherever you get your podcast. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, Someone we've had on the show before talking Browns in general, but also talking this to Sean Watson case, someone who's followed it closely as our beat reporter for the Cleveland Browns at ESPN, the excellent Jake Trotter joins us. Jake, how are you? I'm busy, Bill, but I'm hanging in there. <laughs> I'm sure it's been a very busy offseason for the Cleveland Browns. Several big stories happening seemingly throughout the entire period of the offseason. First, the Baker Mayfield saga, which ended with a trade several weeks ago. And now, of course, this week, the Deshaun Watson uh, situation seemed to at least come to a close pending the NFL's right to appeal. Uh, certainly a lot to talk about here. So let me just start with this. Jake, there was, of course, rumors over the weekend that there would be a verdict rendered in this case on Monday morning. There were talks between the two sides rumors about the possible offers being made there from our Dan Graziano, uh, six games from the NFL, or six games from the Browns, 12 games from the league, no compromise met there. So you wake up Monday, the report comes out, the news breaks, the suspension is six games. From your perspective, Jake, what were your first thoughts? What did you think when you heard the news about the Deshaun Watson suspension? Yeah, Bill, so going back to March, if you spoke to people working in the Browns organization, what do you think is going to happen here with Deshaun Watson? And the common answer that I got was we see a suspension in the neighborhood of four to six games. You know, eventually that kind of went up to like six to eight games, maybe mm -hmm. uh, after new information came out, new lawsuits were filed. Mm -hmm. uh, we obviously had the Jenny Brentis, New York Times piece investigation mm -hmm. uh, into the allegations, but really consistently throughout this process, Everybody I spoke to were like six games. Mm -hmm. That's what we that's what we are preparing for. That's what we think is going to happen. And so when the announcement came out Monday morning that it was going to be, in fact, six games, you know, my initial reaction was, well, I don't think the NFL, I guess the NFL didn't prove its case. It didn't make mm -hmm. a compelling case to Sue Robinson, right? But mm -hmm. compelling enough that somewhere within there, he violated the personal code of conduct policy, but maybe not on the more egregious grounds. And that's why she settled on six games. At that point, Bill, as you know, we hadn't read the report yet. We just mm -hmm. knew what the ruling was. But over the course of the day, uh, there were some snippets of the report that would come out. And then finally, I think around noon or one, mm -hmm. we got the full report. Mm -hmm. And you read the report. I don't know if you had the same reaction that I did, but I was like, six games? Yeah. Uh, because it was very damning, uh, very mm -hmm. withering of Deshaun Watson. And you could feel the tenor change within the Browns training facility here. Like all media availability was scrapped. They didn't do anything before practice. Uh, they finally brought Kevin Stefanski out mm -hmm. after several minutes after practice. 
Usually he speaks before Mm -hmm. the Haslam sent out an interesting statement right before he spoke saying Mm -hmm. that Deshaun Watson is quote remorseful Mm -hmm. when in Robinson's report, she says the exact opposite that he Mm -hmm. was not remorseful. So it was a very bizarre day in Cleveland. And it really was very different at the end of the day in terms of how it felt versus the beginning of the day when Robinson's report first came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot to get to there um, in terms of what you said. Several questions I want to ask um, regarding the Browns' feelings about this topic, how their feelings change. Um, but let me start with this. Let, let, let's start with the report itself for the people who have not read it, who have maybe just heard the news. Um, let me start with this, Jake. Uh, so there were 24 people, 24 women who were suing Watson over the allegations of sexual assault. The NFL interviewed 12 of those women, and in the end, it seems like Sue Robinson only considered four of those 12 women's cases in terms of rendering this verdict and rendering her her opinion on uh, on Deshaun Watson's behavior. Why were there only four women considered here as opposed to the broader uh, group of people who were complaining and who had filed uh, complaints against Deshaun Watson in civil court? It's a great question. We don't know the answer to it. Even Tony Busby, the attorney for these winning women for the plaintiffs, uh, he went on first take on Tuesday on ESPN and said uh, he doesn't know why they didn't interview more women and he doesn't know why they didn't present more of the cases. He also said that the interview, the NFL interviewed only 10 of my clients, not 12, mm-hmm. uh, as Robinson's report states. And we had reported, uh, according to sources, that the NFL claimed it had spoken to 12 women. So yeah, it was confusing a little bit. And I think we just don't know the answer to that until, mm-hmm. you know, one of the NFL prosecutors or somebody from the league tells us and explains their reasoning, which I think we're going to get eventually, right? Those questions are going to be asked. Um, but right now we don't know why they confined it to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, Bill, uh, and we'll get into this more, I'm sure, Sue Robinson sided with the NFL on just those four women, the cases they presented. They, mm-hmm. they Essentially, Robinson said that the NFL did prove it its case on three counts uh, in violation of the personal code of conduct policy. One, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Two, conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. Mm-hmm. And then three, conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. So even though they only presented four, they still prove their case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's why I think there's so many people who are confused by this verdict and why it was only six games. And, and you mentioned earlier that the Browns were sort of preparing for a four to six, six to eight, but a six game suspension was kind of the middle ground there. Sue Robinson lands on six games as a suspension for, for Deshaun Watson. I, I guess given how fervently she seemed to feel that the NFL proved their case, why was it only a six game suspension for Deshaun Watson? Bill, there are a couple of reasons. Uh, among them, she stated that, in her opinion, Watson did not commit violence within the sexual assault. Okay. And so, had she found that, it would have set a baseline suspension of six games. That's in the mm-hmm. CBA. Uh, if, if violence is in, in, included mm-hmm. uh, in the allegations or in the findings, then you go from six games as a minimum. And so, if she had found that Watson's actions were violent, then it would have been six plus, plus, plus. Mm -hmm. Because she didn't 
find his actions to be violent. She went off a different precedent, which is how the league has adjudicated uh, these cases in terms of, you know, sexual assault against women mm-hmm. uh, and and similar cases uh, in the NFL's history. And that lowered the baseline to a much smaller number of games, like three games based on past cases. And so from there, she actually doubled uh, the, the number of games that Watson would be suspended based on precedent. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you are operating under the NFL's precedent on nonviolent sexual assault cases, mm-hmm. it's actually double than anything the NFL's ruled on in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and, and some of our ESPN colleagues have argued this, the question of why this is not considered uh, violence within sexual assault versus right. not, uh, you know, that, that I think is a question. And that's probably a question the league is asking itself as it's, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, deciding whether to appeal this or not. Um, but that really was a big key in why it went from, you know, six games to potentially, you know, 12 or even the season, which mm-hmm. is what the NFL was arguing for. Mm-hmm. There, there's no distinction made in, in her, uh, in, in the report about why it was considered violent as opposed to not violent? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to read the entire report for you on this podcast, but like she basically just said that, this is, these were her, her words, you know, it's undisputed that Watson's conduct does not fall into the category of violent contact that would require the minimum six game suspension. Um, and it is likewise undisputed that prior cases involving nonviolent sexual assault have resulted in discipline far less severe mm-hmm. uh, with the most severe penalty ever being a three game suspension. So on the one hand, she basically said, you know, Watson, I think she used the word predator, uh, egregious behavior. Mm-hmm. And so she was trying to implement a very tough uh, ruling based on how the NFL has ruled on these cases in the past. But mm-hmm. it fell into a different category uh, than it had been if, if she had decided that it was, quote, violent sexual assault behavior. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that it seemed like maybe she was a little frustrated with the NFL sort of vagueness or the way that they have educated these sort of situations in the past um, when it's come to other players and other assault cases where maybe the, you know, sort of the rules have changed or, or, or changed dramatically over the course of, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah, she definitely indicated that in her report. You know, she wrote that, you know, she's bound by the standards and uh, fairness and consistency of treatment among players. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in similar situations. So in her opinion, she felt like she had to operate off of how the NFL has treated these situations in the past, even though, you know, it's not clear, uh, you know, and she alludes to this, like, I think she could make the case that Watson deserved a far more severe penalty, but mm-hmm. because she was operating within the confines of NFL policy mm-hmm. that maybe, maybe was uh, trying to be retroactively applied mm-hmm. or, uh, past precedent with similar cases. Um, that that's why she felt like she was confined to the suspension she gave, which was double anything in the past, but mm-hmm. still far less than I think what a lot of people expected from a judge who would have found Watson guilty uh, of the things that he's been accused of in her report. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in terms of what happens next procedurally. Um, can you get into what the NFL has the option to do and what the time frame for that would be? Yeah, Bill. So under this CBA, the new CBA from 2020, this is a completely new process, right? Mm-hmm. So this was the first personal conduct policy with the disciplinary officer. This was Sue Robinson's 
uh, first ruling as the disciplinary officer. Mm -hmm. And this will be the first time we find out uh, how the appeals process works. So collectively bargain, the NFL and the NFLPA both have the right to appeal within three business days. The deadline for that is 9 a.m. Eastern time on Thursday. Mm -hmm. The NFLPA has already stated, they stated this before Robinson's ruling, that they would not appeal no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, the NFL uh, has not said either way. And it, you know, it sounds like they are discussing whether they should or not. Mm -hmm. um, so the NFL, if it appeals, would appeal to Roger Goodell in writing, who would then consider the appeal himself or appoint someone else to do so, and then would either keep the ruling at six games mm -hmm. or elevate the suspension uh, somewhere potentially in the neighborhood of what the NFL was wanting to begin with, which was anywhere from 12 games with a heavy fine to an indefinite suspension of at least a year. Mm -hmm. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, just from the perspective of someone who does not follow the NFL closely, like th this seems so surreal, you know, like the NFL is arguing a case about one of its players with the NFLPA and there's a neutral uh, person who's going to render a verdict and then the NFL can appeal to the guy who runs the NFL. Like, like there's something so strange about this process that I think it, it, it seems hard to wrap your head around, but I guess given what happened in the past where it was Roger Goodell initially rendering those those verdicts on cases in the past like the Ray, Ray, Ray Rice the Ray Rice case I should say that comes to mind you know am I crazy to think that it seems strange 
You're not crazy. It does seem strange, right? The NFL is appealing to the NFL, who's going to rule on the appeal. That seems kind of strange, right? Uh, I almost wonder if when they were discussing this in CBA negotiations, Stubbett mm-hmm. didn't stand up and say, this is kind of weird, right? Like just right. the way this, this seems. But there is one distinction, Bill, that's very different from the past. So in the okay. past, if there was a personal conduct policy violation, Roger Goodell would look at the situation and then just make a call, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Reister suspended two games. No uh, videos out. So we're going to raise the suspension. Right. Uh, you know, he basically had full authority to do whatever he wanted to do. And there was no, um, you know, uh, court process that presented facts. And then you had a third party investigator decide if those, mm-hmm. uh, if those arguments were legitimate, mm-hmm. if the evidence was legitimate and then make a ruling. So unlike in the past, the NFL actually had to make its case to a third party judge. Mm-hmm and prove its case to this third-party judge. And so uh, that's something the NFL was successful in doing, clearly in this report. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every, in, in every count, it argued that Watson violated uh, the code of conduct policy. And so while this process does seem strange in that the NFL appeals to the NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, at least in this particular situation, the NFL has already proved its case. Mm-hmm. Like the NFL uh, has established that Watson violated the policy uh, the question now is, you know, what is the punishment going to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they going to set a new precedent for cases like this on an appeals? Um, and and here's the thing you got to remember. This was collectively bargained. Even mm-hmm. if it seems weird, this was agreed to by all parties, this process right. where Roger Goodell in the end does still have final say. Mm-hmm. That's what I find so interesting. You mentioned precedent. And I feel like that's a big, 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 important word here because this is the first case going through this process. And you even saw on Sunday night, the NFLPA released a statement saying, I'm paraphrasing here, basically, hey, let's just take whatever verdict Sue Robinson puts out there as the facts. We shouldn't be appealing this case. We should respect that process, which told you, number one, that the Watson verdict was going to be relatively friendly given a relative to public perception. But number two, it seems like this case is not just about Deshaun Watson, but also about establishing the precedent for what's going to be normal and accepted in future cases, even if they're not to the same, you know, the same dramatic extent as this Deshaun Watson case has been uh, over the past year or so. That's why the NFL is in a tough spot. On the one hand, again, this is the first uh, personal conduct policy case under the new CBA. Mm -hmm. First time we've had a disciplinary officer jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA. Is the NFL on the very first go-around on one of these cases going to throw out Robinson's ultimate ruling and implement its own ruling? What kind of precedent is that going to set going forward? Right. You know, I mentioned that the NFL does have to prove its case, unlike in the past, but still it, it sets a strange precedent going forward that, well, the NFL ultimately is going to do what it wants to do anyway, despite this whole process they have now. But on the other hand, you look at the allegations against Watson and the fact that Sue Robinson felt like the NFL proved that he did all these things. Mm-hmm. Is the precedent going to be going forward that for, in her words, egregious behavior like this, you only get six games. Whereas, and I know it's not a personal code of conduct policy. Somebody like Calvin Ridley gets suspended mm-hmm. for an entire season mm-hmm. for gambling on a few games. Uh, I think that's something the NFL is really wrestling with right now. And, what kind of message it's going to send if it sits on six games for Deshaun Watson? It feels like like the case that's going to be held up for perpetuity. You know, a- any suspension 
anything that happens is going to be compared to, oh, well, the Sean Watson only got six games. And it's, of course, it's more complicated than that. There's more of a process than that. But I think the NFL is, right or wrong, very concerned about how they look publicly, um, especially when it comes to players. Owners, not so much, strangely, as we saw with the Stephen Ross case today. But with the players, for sure, uh, they certainly want to make it seem like they are are being disciplined, doing the right thing. And I think that's the really interesting part of this. The NFL could make very strong cases to appeal this or not appeal this. And I think whatever they decide is going to be fascinating. Um, yeah, in the, the NFLPA bill made a very compelling case. You're not treating players the same way that you're treating owners. Right. You're not holding players to the same standard uh, that, that you've held owners. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be problematic for the NFL going forward, no doubt about it. On the, on the other hand, if you just rely on past precedent over and over and over again, and you don't think the precedent is right, like mm-hmm. at what point are you going to change that? And this is right. an opportunity, I think, for the NFL to establish a new precedent for these types of cases. So mm-hmm. yeah, the NFL is in a tough spot either way. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. Um, you mentioned the tenor of of the sentiment from the Browns changing once the full report came out. So I, I guess number one, what I'll start with this. What do you think was in that report that the Browns did not think or suspect was going to be in that report or going to be confirmed by this investigation? Yeah, I can't say for sure. And it might have depended on the person within the Browns organization. But I think that the language, particularly on the violations of sexual assault and endangering another person, um, you know, Robinson did not hold back on how she felt about Mm -hmm. Watson's alleged behavior. And again, you, when you, when you saw the six games, you thought, okay, well, the NFL clearly didn't do a very good job of proving its case. And when the report came out, it said the other complete other thing that, Mm -hmm. that in fact, that the NFL had, uh, you know, proven all these things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that plays a big part in, you know, why the tenor changed so much. And remember, Nobody within the Browns organization has publicly said that Deshaun Watson did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson himself has very clearly stated that he did nothing wrong. Right. You know, no regrets about any of his actions. Uh, you know, I asked him about it at minicamp. You know, you, do you stand by what you said at your introductory press conference back in March that you have no regrets about any of your actions, despite the fact, again, that we had additional lawsuits that were filed. Uh, we had Jenny Brent's New York Times story that came out mm-hmm. and, and he doubled down on that. He did mm-hmm. say that he regretted the situation everybody was in, but he did not gr- regret any of his actions. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the Haslam's say, you know, Brown's mm-hmm. ownership, general manager, Andrew Barry, what they say when they finally talk, because uh, they've essentially backed Watson in that they won't have not to this point said that he did anything wrong either. Uh, although they've been very careful about how they have said that in, in Haslam's the Haslam statement mm-hmm. on Monday, they said, Watson is remorseful for, you know, this yeah, situation, I, but not his actions itself. And they yeah. didn't mention any of the women uh, who have accused Watson in the statement as well. Although they did say, uh, you know, we're aware this might be quote a triggering event yeah. for some people within our fans ba- fan base. Yeah. So let me read that that part of the statement because I wanted to talk about that. Um, this is direct from the Haslam's. Uh, the Haslam family released on Twitter. Quote unquote, we respect Judge Robinson's decision and at the same time empathize and understand that there have been many individuals triggered 
throughout this process. We know Deshaun is remorseful that the situation has caused much heartache to many. And he will continue the work needed to show who he is on and off the field, and we will continue to support him. Now, Jake, you've said clearly Deshaun Watson has not at any point expressed remorse for what happened for the actions. He's expressed remorse for the situation, which you know is a very weird sort of uh, passive way of of acting about something that you clearly are or at least this report says you clearly caused um but let me ask you i mean what on earth could the haslams even be referring to as remorse is there anything if you were trying to justify that statement from ownership that you could point to and say well that is what they are thinking about when they're saying deshaun watson is remorseful or showing the work he's doing on and off the field i guess i don't understand what that could even be referring to yeah, I, I'm not going to try to interpret that statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have not heard from the Haslam's in person since this trade was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did do a Zoom call hours after the press conference, the introductory press conference back in March. And I wasn't there, but, you know, they spoke to a couple of reporters mm-hmm. at, at league meetings shortly after that. But they have not done a single in-person interview in Cleveland since this trade was made. Now, we're told that they will. Uh, once the appeals process is completed, that could be, you know, potentially Thursday if the NFL uh, does not file an appeal. But, you know, I, I go back to the final question that Andrew Barry was asked mm-hmm. during the introductory press conference. It really sticks out. And point Blake, he was asked if he thought, you know, Watson did anything wrong here. And, you know, Andrew didn't say either way, uh, you know, tried to dodge the question. But I think it kind of encapsulates you know, the way the Browns have sort of danced around this where, you know, we're sympathetic uh, Mm -hmm. to people that have, you know, had things happen to them. Uh, You know, we understand like people might feel a certain way, but we're not saying that Watson did anything wrong. And, you know, this case is so different than others in the past. You know, you Mm -hmm. see athletes all the time, you know, we've seen athletes, um, you know, be accused of different things, right? The difference here, and this is, I think, why it's so different than others is that, Mm -hmm all these allegations had been made and then the Browns traded for him. It wasn't like they had a player on the roster, right. You know, who got in trouble. They knew all of this and they still made the trade and they still gave him the richest contract in NFL history at $230 million. And on top of that, a contract that very clearly prevents him from having any money taken away. If he is suspended over the course of the deal, which is true for, I think, every other deal in the National Football League. I can't say I've looked at every single contract, but I have never seen, uh, or at least I can't think of seeing a a contract that had a clause saying that players would not have any of their future guarantees voided or any base salary uh, in the future, not having those guarantees voided if the player was suspended. So despite what people have claimed otherwise uh, publicly uh, about the Deshaun Watson contract, that it's a standard issue, normal deal because of the financial structure of the contract, that that's just not true. I mean, that clause is just so unique to the, to the Sean Watson situation. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, Jake. Were the Haslam's at training camp on Monday? They were at training camp. They were, you know, chatting up VIPs on the sidelines. At one point, Jimmy Haslam was taking photos with fans. And really, mm-hmm. like, if you were at Brown's practice Monday, you would have no idea that any of this was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, Deshaun Watson, after the practice, was you know, mobbed by people trying to get his autograph. And, you know, you watch the Haslam's, you know, you wouldn't have thought anything was happening. So it was kind of a surreal atmosphere in the sense that this is a massive story with serious allegations. And 
it's kind of business as usual once you get out mm -hmm. to the practice field here. I mean, that certainly seems by design, no, that the brands are just sort of hoping that they can just get through this process as quickly as possible without actually ever saying anything meaningful or giving a meaningful press conference or or answering the tough questions that come with acquiring a player who's been accused of, of these sort of, you know, multi-person uh, cases of sexual assault. Yeah, you know, Kevin Stefanski, I asked him on Monday, you know, they've used this word comfortable. We're comfortable with Deshaun Watson, the person, over and over and over again. I think they used it 15 times during the introductory press wow. conference. They've used it repeatedly since when asked about, you know, different allegations that would come up. And so I asked Stefanski on Monday, you know, Judge Robinson, you know, had some pretty serious language in her report. You know, she said that Deshaun Watson was guilty of sexual assault as the NFL defines it and endangering another person. Does that give you any pause about your comfortability with Deshaun Watson, the person? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kevin said that he had not read the report yet, but that he would. And so on Tuesday, I asked him again, okay, I assume you've read the report now. Right. Does that give you pause? And, you know, he said that he had read the report and all he would say was that he was going to be respectful of Judge Robinson's decision. So that's kind of the extent of what we gotten from the Browns about what they think about Robinson's report and really all the allegations that have been made against Watson, mm -hmm. uh, you know, dating back to a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that the the mood at camp was, you know, like nothing unusual was happening. There were fans who were, you know, uh, very excited to see Deshaun Watson take photos with Deshaun Watson. Um, let me ask you this, and maybe this is a hard question to answer, but from your perspective as someone who interacts with fans on Twitter, who is in the Cleveland area, you're listening to people talk, what what is the fan reaction at the moment? I mean, is there still a subset of fans who wish the Browns had stayed with Baker Mayfield? Is it are there fans who are just generally disgusted with the organization? Like, like have people just moved on? W w taking the temperature of that fan base. What what do things feel like right now? It's very mixed. You know, you definitely have a subset of the Browns fan base that, you know, is really excited to have Deshaun Watson as their quarterback. And, you know, and listen, Watson is the most talented quarterback the Browns have had since at least Bernie Kosar. They haven't had a franchise quarterback since the 80s. So, you know, they're they're pumped about what Watson could bring to this team and how good the Browns can be. And, you know, they're aware of the allegations and I mean, mm -hmm. this might sound harsh, but they don't care. Mm -hmm. they, they just don't care. Um, but that's not the entire Browns fan base by any means. And I can just tell you, maybe maybe they're not so outspoken. Maybe you don't hear them, you know, out here at practice. But, mm -hmm. you know, just being around Cleveland, you know, people that I know, people that I don't know where this conversation maybe comes up. There are a lot of Browns fans out there that are, like you said, disgusted by this situation who are at least conflicted about it. Like, you know, I, I want to be a Browns fan, but I don't know what to do with this. Or, you know, even some that have said, like, I'm just, I'm out for now. I, I just can't mm -hmm. be a fan while Deshaun Watson is our quarterback. So it's, it's very mixed. It's all over the place. I don't know what the percentage is. I just mm -hmm. know both percentages are significant. It's not in, an insignificant, insignificant number of, of fans on both sides. The, 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 the fans that don't care at all, they want to see Deshaun Watson win them a Super Bowl. And the fans on the other side of it who are, you know, very upset about what the team has done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's certainly fair. Um, 
in in terms of and i guess this is the one football question i have to ask as we finish up in in terms of what the browns are going to do i, I guess we have to consider this from from two different perspectives number one with the current suspension which is six games i'm, I'm assuming that they would probably just stick with Jacoby Brissett. But please correct me if I'm wrong. Do you think they would make another move given that Deshaun Watson is suspended for six games, like for Jimmy Garoppolo or someone else more significant to compete with Jacoby Brissett? Or would it be Jacoby Brissett as the starter? I think as of right now, if it stays at six games, the Browns are going to ride it out with Jacoby Brissett. They think mm-hmm. that they can get to, based on people I've spoken to, they can be four and two. Yep. Deshaun Watson is back on the field. They are squarely in the hunt uh, at four and two, despite how loaded the AFC is. You know, mm-hmm. remember, Bill, the Browns' first month of the season, it's like one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. You know, they play uh, Carolina in the Baker Mayfield reunion game. They've got the Jets. Uh, they've got Pittsburgh uh, on a Thursday night. And then they have the Atlanta Falcons. Like, Jacoby mm-hmm. Brissett, can, they can be three and one yep. at that point easily. And so I think that they would ride it out with Jacoby Brissett. If the suspension turns out to be much longer, especially if it turns out to be way longer, uh, I think there's a real possibility they would explore Jimmy Garoppolo trade. Mm-hmm. Is there a number that comes to mind for you? You know, is it, is it 12? Is it the season? Like, is there anything or is it just more than six? I think they'd have to have some conversations. I think they would have some conversations if it were in the eight to 10 range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. And, you know, there's, I guess we'll see what happens, right? Like we're recording this in between the period where the verdict has been rendered and the NFL has decided whether they're going to appeal or not. Um, but I think at the very least, it feels like this weird sort of middle purgatory, you know, where the Browns have to kind of wait this out. And I, and I think it's such a, that like, like, like there's so, there's so many moving parts still for something that I think for the Browns perspective, they want to be finalized and over and finished and in other places feels like it might just be beginning in some other ways. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of gets back to why they traded for Deshaun Watson in the first place. I mean, they mm-hmm. watched the AFC playoffs. Like you see Josh Allen, you see Patrick Mahomes, you see Joe Burrow, like you're not going anywhere unless you have a guy of that caliber. So that, that's why they made the Deshaun Watson trade. That's why they moved on from Baker Mayfield. So they're not, I don't think that they're looking at this like, oh, we're just going to chalk this up as a lost season if mm-hmm. Watson is suspended for more than six games. And that's why I think that they will seriously consider the idea of trading for Jimmy Garoppolo, who won a playoff game in Lambeau Field just last year and has mm-hmm. had a lot of success uh, in the postseason, whether it's as, as a bridge quarterback or as the guy that might have to play the entire year, depending mm-hmm. on how uh, the appeal goes. So I, I don't think that they are looking at this like, well, if Watson gets suspended, there's always 2023. I mean, this roster is ready to contend for a Super Bowl now. And you know, Bill, like those championship contending windows don't always stay open for very long. This mm-hmm. is a super, get ready to be a super expensive team. I mean, the mm-hmm. Browns are the only team in the NFL right now that are paying uh, a player top seven in terms of money at their position at wide receiver, quarterback, tight end, and running back. Mm-hmm. They've also got two of the five highest paid guards in the NFL and wide teller and Joel Batonio, you know, Denzel mm-hmm. Ward and Miles Garrett have signed record deals. I mean, they're getting ready to be the, the Rams of the AFC. That, that's not that far away. They're going to have to make some tough decisions uh, in the not too distant future because of that Deshaun Watson contract. So, like, you could make the argument that their best chance to win a Super Bowl if this Watson situation uh, was not happening would be 2022. And to mm-hmm. just kick that season away, uh, I think would be really difficult. And 
you know, put them in a tough spot going forward. Cause remember bill, they got no first round picks in the, in mm-hmm. the distant, you know, in the, in the short term, they are all traded away. Uh, they're not going to have a high end influx of, of young talent coming in Their Their window is today right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Jake, obviously we've had you on the past couple of times to talk about Watson and Mayfield. Hopefully next time we can have you on about football, but until then, where can people check out your coverage of, of the Browns and of this Deshaun Watson situation? Yeah, you can find me on ESPN.com. You can find me on SportsCenter with updates uh, from Brown's training camp and on Twitter, Jake underscore Trotter. And of course, on your podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, ESPN's Jake Trotter. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Obviously, not the most fun topic to talk about, but I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, complex stuff, a lot of interesting stuff happening with the Deshaun Watson case. It's going to matter not just for the Watson case, but also for future cases with the NFL as well. Um, So hope you guys learned a little bit about what is happening in this very sort of difficult, frustrating case. Um, We will have more NFL preview stuff happening. Of course, today the Miami Dolphins just lost their first round pick over the Stephen Ross situation. Uh, Plenty of NFL stuff happening. A Jimmy Garoppolo trade probably in the weeks to come. We'll preview, recap, break down all that stuff in the next month. So hope you guys are enjoying your summer. Hope you guys are enjoying the beginning of training camp and more football on the way.